Welcome to the Zeal Interestings Podcast. I'm your host, Chris White. Today, I've got a special guest, Ben Ornstein. He's the CEO of Tuple. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, Ben. Yeah, my pleasure. Super excited to have Ben on the podcast today. I think that there's an interesting story here of moving from a developer to an entrepreneur. And uh, I wanted to ask you all about that and ask you about Tuple and wh- where that's going. Yeah, so thank you so much. Uh, can you give us kind of a ba- your personal background and kind of the story of how you kind of moved from being a developer to an entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. So I think I've always had a little bit of, the, of an entrepreneurial bent to me. So I've been a mostly Ruby developer for probably like 12 years now. Uh, my first professional Ruby job was in a proprietary or professional job for programming was in a proprietary language that we shouldn't mention here. But eventually I made the transition into Ruby and I've been there for quite a while. But while I was learning Ruby, I got really interested in Vim for a while, and after this was in the in the days of Peep Code, okay, uh, where Jeffrey Grossenbach was making like awesome screencasts for people, and I decided that I would try to make my own Vim-related screencast. And so my first product ever was Vim for Ruby developers or Vim for Rails developers, and it was just the the Vim tips I had acquired while doing Rails stuff. That's awesome. Does that still exist? It, I mean, it exists in the sense that yeah, it's like it's the bytes are together in a hard drive somewhere. It's not for sale anywhere right now. Although honestly, I think it probably could be. Like it was fairly timeless. It looks dated now, but it's there was there was some good stuff there. It sounds very timeless. I've been a real Rails and Ruby developer for many years, but only in the last year have I started to really level up in Vim, become familiar, get kind of incorporate better techniques into that. So that's, that sounds very personally interesting to me. Interesting. Yeah, I think a version. I, I I could be possibly convinced to do a version two someday. Sweet. But so I, I put that on on the internet for nine dollars or for on for for sale and sent an email out to like the Boston Ruby Group and a couple friends and got the first sales notification of my life where someone that I didn't know purchased a thing from me on the internet and it, I feel like that really changed the course of my life in a way. It was like just this amazing, like my heart started pounding. I was like. I was just like, I feel like I was like walking somewhere and I feel like I just had to start running because I just like had all this like adrenaline in my system all of a sudden. It was like, wow, this is like the most incredible feeling ever. You got an email notification and something changed in your brain. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think that was a bit of a turning point for me. Uh, and it was a, it was a slow turning. It takes a while to turn the ship. But I think since that moment, I've been like, this is really cool. I think my eventual destiny is to make this my full time thing. And so I've, there have been a number of moves throughout my career since then that have sort of sent me in that direction. And I can talk about some of those if you want some more details. Uh, yeah, definitely. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, so I know some, some high-level details. You, you worked for ThoughtBot for a long time. Yeah, I did uh, just about six years at ThoughtBot, which is a wonderful experience. And by the way, if you're looking for like a Rails Ruby gig, um, or even sometimes not that, like mobile development and other things now, they're doing Elixir and whatnot, uh, that's... Great company to work for. Was very happy there. Very cool. So you've you've been a professional developer working for other people, working for in consulting roles of various kinds. How does that wind up? Did you gradually become more entrepreneurial in what you were doing, or did you just kind of one day decide to leave, start doing your own things? It was sort of a gradual process. So it started off, I think. So the the, the screencast that I launched on the side was kind of the first clear thing. The next thing was probably I started doing these things uh, with a friend of mine, Chris Hunt, that we called Codecations, which is where we would go on kind of like a vacation together, but we would actually end up spending most of the time writing code. That's awesome. Yeah, this started on a whim based on just a random tweet. And Chris and I discovered that we were good friends and we're compatible. And so we ended up going to Costa Rica and uh, renting a place like in the rainforest, more or less, and learning ClojureScript uh, and uh, writing interesting Clojure programs. And that went so well that we decided to like make it a repetitive thing. 
Uh, and so uh, a year later, we kicked off another codecation. And while that was happening, there was this journaling service that I had been using called Olife that got shut down. And I was like, man, it sucks that Olife got shut down. What if we just like made a clone of that right now and charged for it? Uh, and he was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And so codecation number two turned into launch a uh, tiny SaaS app really fast. Really? And yeah. And it was, it ended up being really fun. And that to me is like when it really got like, got great was when it was like, okay, we're, we're not just writing code, but like we're trying to solve a problem and try to like get people to pay us for it. And that felt awesome. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's really cool. So, so you spending, you know, a lot of time away from work with, with a close friend sounds awesome, but you are also like engaging your brains, figuring out solutions to a problem and kind of getting that kind of classic entrepreneur story where you kicked out something and, so, so that what was that product? That was an Olife replacement. Yeah, so it was. It's a little app, and that this actually still is is a thing. And people, we still have customers. It's called Trail Mix because we happen to be eating Trail Mix at the time. Nice trailmix.life if you want to go check it out. And it's a very, very simple journaling service. So every day you get an email from the app, and it says, "How was your day?" And you create your entry by just responding to the email, and it, it builds that journal entry for you on the back end. But as sort of bait to get you to open each of the emails, uh, we pick an old entry at random. And send it to you. Oh, interesting. And so you have sort of this in- incentive to open the email and you get to read an old entry. And it's crazy because you would think that you would even remember like an entry from three days ago wouldn't give you any surprises, but it totally does. Like it's, it's, it's crazy how your brain forgets things. That's awesome. That, that's a really interesting hook because normally any kind of repetitive notification from, from a service is something that's super easy to ignore. Right. But if it has custom content, from from someone who you're a big fan of, which is yourself. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a pretty awesome way of keeping people on it. Totally. Yeah, I, I, it's it's worked for me. It was the only, and that's why I, I wanted to like when Olaf shut down. This was I mean this was totally from their playbook. But when they shut down, I was like, this is the only journal that I've I've been able to keep consistently or semi consistently, and so I didn't want to lose that. And so we that's that's why we, we replicated it. That's awesome. So it worked for me. Super cool. So so Trailmix has been in existence for quite a while, and other things have happened since then. Have you found that? It's distracting to have something like trail mix in existence today, or is it no. just kind of a neat, neat thing to have around? Trail mix is actually like a very simple app, and we've actively resisted adding things to it. Like we, a year went by, and then we did another codecation, and we spent a few days adding like image support, so you can attach an image to that email and, and have that image come back to you. Yeah, uh, and so we, we've we've expanded the feature set insanely slowly. We don't do anything to really market it, and it, it it chugs along, making you know very small money, but enough to support it and enough to you know keep it going. So it's it's not much of a distraction. It's very back burner for us. We basically gotcha. upgrade the security, or the upgrade the dependencies when security vulnerabilities are found, and very very basic, basic customer support stuff every once in a while. That's awesome. That's super awesome. I've heard about entrepreneurs that release very small apps and kind of keep iterating on them. Some are you know big explosions. Some are some are like very slow burning things. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a lifestyle out there where people release very small apps and continue to kind of iterate and keep doing it over and over again. But that doesn't sound like what you're doing today. Yeah, that's true. Like with Trail Mixer or in my 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 real thing. Your 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 today thing. Yeah, my today thing. There's one more one more detour worth mentioning, I think, which sure. is that during my time at Thoughtbot, so I started at Thoughtbot as a consultant and I was writing Ruby for other companies, as you might expect. Because I had done a couple screencasts on the side, I had some education experience and I was aware that you can make money selling knowledge, uh, in particular to Ruby folks. And Thoughtbot has a really solid brand in that community. Definitely. And we were starting to do some workshops and online workshops too. And so it was like, okay, now we have a couple online workshops 
And Thoughtbot and I worked out like a revenue share agreement where they were selling my um, screencast. And one day I went to Chad, the CEO, and I was like, you know, I think we should have, like, Thoughtbot should have an educational product and we should put all our courses under it and we'll charge a monthly subscription to it. And I think we can grow a big community over time with our brand and all of the knowledge, like just taking the knowledge that's here and, and turn it into products. And he was like, yeah, I think you're right. Go do it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. And it's, it's like a great, uh, that really typifies Chad's style, I think, which is like, he likes ideas, he likes when people go for it. And he was just like totally in support, which is, was great. So that original idea became Upcase, which is ThoughtBot's education product. And I put that together and other ThoughtBotters have come on and off the team, but I was kind of leading that team for the majority of the Upcase life. And that was my first really real go at it, I guess, of, of, of creating yeah. an online subscription business that had real revenue and had a P&L and grew over years. And that was like a really interesting uh, phase of my life. That was great. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't want to say too much about how that went, that's that's okay. But how did your kind of personal relationship to that product go over its lifespan? Like, it seems like there's kind of like the exciting launch process, and then there's the continual maintenance and continual perhaps grind of of continuing to add content and, and continuing to seek subscribe, subscribers. How did your kind of relationship to that evolve? It was tricky. I'm great at starting things. Like, that's my favorite phase of any project is the early days. Definitely. That like sort of continual maintenance and keeping it going and sometimes finishing things off is trickier for me. That's that's not where I'm naturally strongest. And so I really enjoyed the early days of Upcase, particularly when we were growing a lot and there were like a good number of people on the team. But uh, there were times where it was either like me, the time there was times where the team got small and there was less interaction, which is something that I need. Uh, and also it just got a bit repetitive. So we, we, we sort of signed up for like, hey, well, we'll ship you like weekly videos. And it was like, wow, now we have like a, a serious content treadmill to, to maintain. Gotcha. Uh, and I just, and after a few years of teaching people Ruby and Rails, like you get a little tired of Ruby and Rails. Like it's just, I think, I think that would be true for most people. And it definitely was true for me. So there was a point at which I said, all right, I got to, I love running a product. Running a product inside another company is an awesome way to learn how to do it. I, I thought that was like, that was like such a perfect middle ground for me. Like I was still yeah. making a good salary. I had a lot of safety and security. We had like the sort of the, the might of Thoughtbot behind everything we were doing. But I was getting to learn all these things and operating kind of as like like internal CEO of this product. But after a couple of years, I, I decided I wanted to turn my attention somewhere else. Uh, that, that's cool. That's cool. I think that uh, that represents a ton of growth. And I think I think a lot of people will get into entrepreneurship and then find themselves very unhappy and not be sure why. It sounds like you've mm. kind of learned how to understand what your own personal motivations are. Is that a good summary of, of that? I would say that I am in the continual process of learning okay. what works for me. So I, I'm, I'm always getting learning a little bit more about it. And I'm also, I, would, I think it's worth pointing out, knowing what makes me happy and doing the things that make me happy are not the same thing. I see. So awareness is up. Ability to act on that awareness is up as well, but not as much. It's sort of a lagging trend there. So what things have you been do doing lately to increase your happiness or act on things that make you happy? That's interesting. So like one thing that I think helps is just by being aware of what's in your head a little bit more. And so I've done various things to pay attention to what's happening in my brain because it's easy to walk around lost in thought and not even and, and never step up one level and say, "Hey, I'm lost in thought." Like I'm spending a lot of time thinking about X and that X, that thing is stressing me out. And so I've done various mindfulness type exercises over the years. Uh, I've gotten pretty into meditation for a while. I like the Headspace app. I also right now I've been uh, doing this thing called the 5-minute journal. And where like I spend a few minutes journaling in the morning and a few minutes in the evening, just to kind of like 
pay attention to the things that matter and ask myself questions like, how could today have been better? Or what was great about today? Like, what, what would make today great? And just pay a little bit more attention. That sort of thing helps a lot. Yeah, one of the founders of Zeal actually gave everyone at the company a five-minute journal last Christmas. Oh, nice. And it's actually been really, really helpful. Super helpful for me. That's cool. Yeah. That's a nice gift. Definitely, definitely. Fast forwarding a bit, you left ThoughtBot, did some other things for a while. You launched another education product, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, yep. so I, I, I left. So I was, I was coming up on my six-year anniversary with ThoughtBot, and I was feeling like I needed to change. ThoughtBot was and is amazing, but it was just I just couldn't think of a, a way to change what I was doing enough to make it interesting enough. Like I just wanted to just have something fresh happen. Yeah, and so I decided to leave, not really knowing what to do. And so the first thing that I decided to do was like, okay, I know how to make good educational Rails content, and. It was sure would be used to ha- nice to have a course that I've made to like bring in some revenue, and that will ho- hopefully fund me towards doing other things. And so I did. I made a course called Refactoring Rails, which try- I tried to distill down all my wisdom of like, okay, what do you do once you have a Rails app that's a little bit older, a little bit more mature, has a little bit more cruft to it? Maybe what are the refactorings and best practices and techniques that you can use to keep your shipping speed high so it's still pleasant to work on in year two, three, four, as opposed to like slowing down and being crappy. Got it, got it. So, so I shipped that course and that went well, like had a good launch, continues to sell. I continue to get good feedback about it, which is awesome. But I was solo for all of that. And I found a co-working space that had some and like made some friends and like joined some leagues and was trying to just like recreate the experience of being in an office and having coworkers that I liked. Right. And it didn't really work. I'm like super, super extroverted. I do great on teams. I do terrible solo and I need face to face time. And so I was struggling. And so I ended up taking a job briefly and calling like a temporary halt to my solo entrepreneur thing. Yep. Uh, and that only lasted a few months because I was like the whole time I was like, okay, this is not what I want to do. I want I want to do this thing. I just want to do it with people. Got it. I think my eventual destiny is to start and run software companies. And so like that's that's where I want to go. And so I was talking to this friend of mine. Like every few days we would get together and we like talk about various business ideas. And we were both had an itch. We both wanted to leave our jobs. He had uh, recently sold his startup to a larger company and was like stifled and not really enjoying the experience that much. I see. And so we finally hit on something and uh, decided to pull the trigger. Okay. Okay. And that thing is Tuple. That thing is Tuple. Yeah. So uh, basically, what happened was uh, so Tuple is a screen hero replacement, or I should say, it will be. That's our that's our goal. Got it. Those are, those are our marching orders. So I've been a, was a huge fan of screen hero. And I was kept talking to friends and saying, "Hey, now the screen hero is gone. What are you using?" And there were never, I was never getting a great answer back. Yeah, it was always kind of like, "Well, this is like kind of as good, or this is this is okay, or I've used a bunch of stuff, and they both they all kind of stunk." I actually listened to your a, a recent episode you did discussing this, for like like yeah. a survey of the landscape. What we found is that things were evolving, but there was never a very clear answer for if you're a pair programmer working remotely, what do you use? Exactly. And the answer is you use a few things and it's mostly as good as Screen Hero, maybe. Yep. And that, that was that was sort of my conclusion as well. And and other people had even like sort of harsher criticism of the market, I would say, where they're like, yeah. I I've just gone to like not even doing remote control stuff because it just everything sucks. That's true. That's true. I found that there are remote control options in the options we use. We've we've used, you know, Slack solution, we've used Zoom, we've even tried we've trialed a few other things like use together. But what I found is that the the remote control aspect of those systems is you know not 100% as good as screen hero and so yeah instead of like observing that and taking action on that what i found is that most of the pairing that occurs in our company 
is now just like no remote control. Mm. We're we're always just like we're pairing, we're screen sharing. If I if I want to interject, I just tell my my pair what I would like him to do. Yeah. Do you miss the remote control? Uh, that's a great question. I was at, I was I was thinking about that this morning, and I think if if remote control became like super good, super solid again, I probably wouldn't use it with my current pair because my current pair has a very specific Vim configuration that I think would just not mm. be very compatible with ha- how I like to work. But I think that mm. um, depending on the pair, I would probably enjoy having that remote control, especially if it was very seamless and very very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Our, our company, there's just no uh, standardization or or any. There's very few similarities in how we have our environments configured. Some of us use Atom, some of us use Vim. I use Atom with Vim mode. Some of us use uh, VS Code. I think that since Screen Hero died, we've all kind of spread out in terms of how we like to do things. Mm, uh, and I think that it's as it's a, it's a result of no longer doing any remote control. Yeah. I, so I've I've done pairing without remote control, and I I find that there's just a little too much dictating. Right. To get a point across, the dictating part is pretty annoying. Yeah, like it, when I find myself like reading code, like dictating code to someone to type, it's like, man, this is not this is not good. Like my my ideal, like I like writing code like with two keyboards plugged into one machine. Like that's where I feel yeah. like that's that's like the ideal. And I wish I could have exactly that remote. And so that's the what I, and that's kind of that's basically where Screen Hero got to. And that's more that's that's where we hope to get to too because I I think when you're saying like, oh no, like curly brace, no no, the other one, no no, ba- not not on the <laughs> no three lines down. And it's just, it's like, that's, there's just a faster way of communicating. Like, let me just take control seamlessly for a second or two, show you what I want, and then move on. Or like, I like being able to do things like ping pong pair programming, where it's like, I write a test, you make it pass, you write a test, I make it pass. Like, that's a a really nice way to split up responsibilities. And that's hard if like control is not really a a seamlessly switched. Right, right. It would be difficult to ping pong pair where I write a test and push it and and you pull it and you write (laughs) a solution and we just switch. That, That would be pretty contrived. Right, so I kept having this experience, and everyone was like, "No, there's no, there's no spiritual successor." Is basically what yeah. I discovered, and so I reached out to one of the co-founders of Screen Hero and said, "Hey, man, like I'm, I'm thinking about building something kind of like Screen Hero. Could could I talk to you for a little bit?" Mm-hmm. And so he was very gracious, and we did a call with him, and we're like, "Do you think there's still a market here?" And he was like, "Absolutely, that's awesome." And I was like, "Do you think Slack calls are going to replace this?" And he says, "Nope." And so, like, we just got like all this like encouragement from him, and, and also realism, where he's like, "It's it's hard, but there's I think there's definitely a market here." And so, we got re- really energized by that call, and that was I think like the sort of the, the final thing we needed to be like, "All right, let's let's give our notices, let's let's take a crack at this." That's awesome. That's awesome. So so positioning wise, you're you're positioning this as a tool for remote programming, like remote pair programming, uh, at yep. least initially, perhaps, or is that kind of like you're going to focus on that niche and stay in that niche? Totally going to focus and stay there. Gotcha. I, I think like this is this is the audience that we can reach well and can understand, and we can evaluate it if we've if we've hit our, hitting our marks. And I'm very happy to stay as a, a niche pair programming tool forever. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. So so you want to be where if people think I am doing remote pair programming, oh, you don't have tuple. That would be a disappointing thing. Yeah. Where where it would be the, the clear solution that works better than everything else is tuple. Yes, that's where I want to get to. I want to be the most obsessed with the experience of using it. And I think that's what made Screen Hero so good was like, so talking and talking to the, the co founder, that's one of the things he confirmed is they spent a ton of time thinking about latency. Like latency in remote pair programming, I think is kind of the number one thing to think about. Aside, once you've done the already really hard things of 
dual pointers and good keyboard control, which is right. also hard, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> latency is like so when I'm typing on someone's machine, and it's like if the, if it takes too long to get that feedback when you're typing. It becomes really painful and hard to do. Gotcha. And so you have to really go nuts about that. Yeah, I've noticed that it does not take much latency to turn it to, to take it from I'm typing on your computer to I'm sending emails that show up on your computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and and so that that to me is our is our sort of our marching orders. It's like okay, we have to care about latency more than anybody else, and we have to do that because we care about pair programming because we want people to type on people's other like on remote machines all the time, and so. The hope is, my hope is that if we are obsessed with this to a level that no one else is willing to go to, we can build a better solution to this than anyone else can. And then we will become the, the default answer and the spiritual successor. Got it. Got it. So pair programmers are your audience. Mm-hmm. Who are your customers? It's a good question. So we actually do have customers already, which is awesome. So I've been that's awesome recruiting people into, into our alpha, despite the fact that we don't have a working alpha to give them yet. Uh, but it, which is that's which extra is really awesome. Good. Yeah, it's it's extra. It's it's very awesome. It's it's really good validation. It's like okay, yes, we are solving a problem people want to have be solved to the point that they're willing to pay for it now to sort of help fund d- development and make sure it actually gets created. Uh, so that's that's been really uh, encouraging. But our customers right now are a mix. I would say some of them are people that. Are like freelancers that work remotely with lots of clients. Yep, and want a good like rock solid solution for this. But more and more, we're signing up teams. Actually, signing up teams of three, four, five, six people that pair internally amongst each other. I think our ideal customer is going to be something like that—a mid-sized team that is remote and increasingly remote, or like, yep. or like going remote—is going to be kind of our sweet spot. I think. Yeah, Zeal uh, is having a huge transition week this week. Three years ago, our founders leased a very large office in Medford, Oregon. It was like 3,000 square feet, had tons of room. They set up great desks where very tall standing desks with room for you know two, two programmers to stand at it. In the last six months, it was used daily by about three people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we've, we've become more a remote team than not a remote team. And so we, we just this week moved out of that office. And the, the physical location of Zeal is now a smaller, more appropriate office the amount of people to actually work in person. And so we are an increasing we, we are growing increasingly more remote as yep. a team. I think you're representative of a larger trend. And that's one of the things that makes me excited about this particular niche is I think programmers are going to go increasingly remote. And we're going to see like we're going to see more programmers every month, which is good for us. Definitely. And we're going to see more programmers go remote every month. And I think that is mostly a good thing for the world. It's nice to let people work from where they are. It has a lot of hiring advantages, but it does come with some some disadvantages. And so I think there's a, a nice opportunity for tools that help reduce those disadvantages. And being able to remotely pair, I think, is is totally one of them. That's awesome. That sounds super awesome. Super good trends for you. One thing that I wanted to ask you is, what are your personal goals for for this new company? Hmm. Your interest in entrepreneurship, you're, you're excited to start new things and work with your friends. Do you even have uh, an idea of what you would like to be doing in like three years or five years with Tuple? We have a rough idea. So my co-founders and I, we had some heart, like plenty of heart-to-hearts before we got going to make sure that we wanted roughly the same thing. That's awesome. And our, our plan is, yeah, and, and I think essential. Uh, our plan as of right now is to not... Take funding. Like we're, we're bootstrapping this. We all have savings. And so we're just trying to make it work with what we have. Cool. We want to grow at a reasonable pace. And the three of us, I think, basically aspire to a nice lifestyle. So we don't anticipate hiring a ton of people trying to get really big. We want to make a really good thing that we're proud of. We want it to be, you know, the best when it comes to latency and usability and all that. But we don't want to try, we're going to try to avoid creating a huge team to do it. 
And we want to work reasonable schedules and stay sustainable and have like, to, to me, if you build a successful company that requires you to work a million hours a week, like why is, is that like you, you've kind of, to me, that would be a failure, right? Some people might, might be into that, but that, that, that to me would not be cool. What I want is like a sustainable, profitable company that like we can steadily work a little bit less on and that sort of, that is, you know, maintains our lifestyle and is good, but is not something that we're going crazy on all the time. Right, right. So your goal is to make Tuple just large enough to accomplish your engineering goals and uh, kind of support your customers well. Totally. But, but also enable you to have the freedom and lifestyle that you want. Yeah, that's, that's about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you could probably see yourself doing that for quite a while if that works out well. If it works out, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, like there, there are actually a lot of hard problems. This is by far the, the most technically challenging thing I will have built. I'm a web app developer. So like I'm, I'm, if this were like a, a CRUD app, we would be halfway done already. Right, right. Sometimes you can ship a product in a, in a weekend. Exactly. This is like real time screen sharing. So it's like, it's sensitive to the internet. It's sensitive to a lot of like, it's, we're talking like milliseconds matter. And yep. the operating system doesn't really want you to have multiple pointers and doesn't really like multiple keyboards controlling a thing. And so there's lots and lots of technical hurdles to jump. And we're, we're building it as a native app on Mac OS, which is not a, an environment that any of us have, have done anything on already. So there's a lot of hard things about this. So this is a, a longer shot than other things I've done. Like Trail Mix, we built in like two days and then you know, right. and, and shipped it. Uh, and a lot of the other things I've done have, have like felt very squarely in my wheelhouse. And I, I was pretty sure I could do them and I just had to execute you know, fairly well. This is, this is by far the hardest. And so hopefully, hopefully it works out. Like we're, we're trying, we're, we're all all in. But uh, I'm I'm also realistic. Like this is this is a challenging problem, and other people have tried to solve this and not succeeded. So it's it, it might it'll be hard, and that's okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's cool to it's cool to understand like that you are going through a challenging thing, and that you you intend to succeed, but there's a chance that you might not. And I feel like having that understanding among your partners and and understanding the long term visions and things like that. I feel like those conversations tend to happen too late. When I when mm. I've talked to other entrepreneurs, they had different intentions going into the product and they never talk to their partners about that. Yeah. Uh, and then that becomes uh, something ugly later on. For sure. Yeah. I could that being pretty deadly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I want to respect your time a little bit and we're coming up on our listeners time, but I did want to definitely ask you about one great pair programming, pair programming tip that you've learned over the years. Hmm. Sure. Uh, it's a little one, but I think is worth sharing. Sure. Small tweaks are the best. So when you're navigating, meaning when your, your hands are not on the keyboard, don't point out your driver's typos right away. Yeah. I think a lot of people when they're navigating, they, they assume that their job is like high-powered typo spotting. And so as soon as you make a typo, they will point it out. But I think what you can usually do is just keep your mouth closed. And what I found is that like probably 50% of the time, the person typing sees it on the line and then fix, like goes back and fixes it. And a bunch, and like 40% of the time on top of that, like another 40%, they notice it right away when they run a test or, you know, try to compile or whatever. And then only 10% of the time do you say, oh, it's that semicolon on whatever, or it's that curly brace over here. Yep. And I think this is worth doing because it lets your driver stay in the flow. If your mind is on what's coming next and you have the sequence of events and you make a typo at some point and someone forces you to jump back, I think you can kind of lose where you're at. Got it. Got it. I, I found that it definitely be true in my pairing practice. Like every time I feel like interruptions are, are something that I have to kind of hold back and kind of make sure I'm not doing too frequently because I feel mm-hmm. like it pulls people out of flow a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it distracts them or sometimes, you know, if someone's not used to pairing, it can even like embarrass them or like get their hackles up, which is not a good, uh, good way to 
pull someone into the pairing environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an excellent tip. Thank you. I need to be more aware, self aware of that. Cool. It, it, I think it makes it's a small thing, but I think it makes a pretty decent difference. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, Ben. Is there anything that you would like to bring to our listeners' attention? Sure. I mean, if you want to check out Tuple, you can get on our list. That's where we're recruiting people for like our upcoming beta and whatnot. Um, you can go to tuple.app to sign up there. And you can also read about how we're thinking about the company and how we want to build it. One other thing that is possibly interesting to your audience is I run a thing called the Code Quality Challenge. And this was something I created when I first left ThoughtBot. Cool. It's a group of people. We get together and we do it as a cohort. And we spend 30 days thinking about or doing an exercise to improve the code quality of our apps 20 minutes a day for 30 days. And so... Every Monday through Friday, I send out a challenge, which is like, okay, day one, update the readme. See what's out of date. You know, if you have no readme, create a basic one. Here's a, a, a skeleton you might use. That's like a that's like day zero. And it's it's a nice thing. We it's it's free. And like the last cohort had 850 people in it. Wow. Yeah. We had like a, a nice forum where there's some good interactions, people like creating their own meetups and talking to each other and sharing tips. And uh, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback for it and it doesn't cost anything. So maybe check that out. It's codequalitychallenge.com. Cool. Well, we'll definitely include links in the show notes. It sounds like an awesome like learning tool and also community. Totally. Has, has the community kind of grown out of that or? It kind of, that's one thing I'm struggling with is that after the cohort ends, there's not like that they tip, people kind of fade away. Gotcha. And so I wouldn't say I've created a lasting community that is like existing between the cohorts, but that's, that's a goal for, that's a long-term goal, I think. So it's more like a summer camp kind of a, kind of experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get that month together with some some smart, motivated people, and it's and and, and one one thing that I've gotten I've heard from people is they like doing it with their coworkers. So if you can get some coworkers on board, it's a, it's a nice way to uh, go about it. You have your own your built in cohort. That's super awesome. We'll check that out. Cool. Thanks again, Ben. Uh, super appreciate it. And thanks again for listening, everybody. If you want even more interesting, uh, sign up for our newsletter. It's at codingzeal.com slash interesting. We find all sorts of interesting things on the internet, summarize them, make it really to consume. Or you can follow us on Twitter at CodingZeal. Thank you so much. Thank you.